Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we have James Jordan giving us a discussion of biblical architecture. It was delivered during a course that we had on architecture several years ago, and the follow-up discussion will be coming out next week. We really hope that you enjoyed this time of teaching, and we want to thank you so much for listening. And here is James Jordan discussing biblical architecture. I just have a number of themes to talk about. Uh, A systematic presentation of what the Bible has to say about what we call architecture would mean that the whole week would be mine, not just some supplements. But I want to toss these things out and in the three hours that I've got, and uh, we can discuss them. But So the first topic is the fourfold world of the original world house. God makes this house for his daughter to grow up in. The theology here is that God the Father has an only begotten son and an only created daughter. The daughter is supposed to grow up to be uh, the bride for his son. He makes this world. Uh, He puts uh, assistants in the world, angels, who are going to help the daughter to grow up. And uh, when she is ready, the son will come and... There will be the marriage of heaven and earth, um, the marriage of God with the creation of the Son with humanity, which we are now living in, and uh, then the Son brings the world back to the Father at the end. And the environment that is made for this is the land of Eden, And we know that on the east side of the land of Eden is the Garden of Eden. A river arises in Eden, flows out through the garden, and then breaks up into four streams as it goes down to the world. Adam and Eve, Adam, to start with, is put in this garden. He's not put up here in the land of Eden, the farthest west uh, where the throne is, where rule is. He is put here where he is told to grow up. Keep his hands off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge, knowledge of good and evil is a phrase that means wisdom. It is identical to the word wisdom in the Solomonic literature, and it means kingly wisdom. By me, kings reign. But because they seized it before their time, they were not patient. The essential virtue that they refused to follow was patience. They were sent out of the sanctuary garden down into what we call, we around here, call the forecourt land. They will be able to come up near to this doorway here and have some kind of contact with God and his angels. But 
in only varying degrees throughout the history of the Bible go back into a sanctuary. And then when Cain sins and is sent further east, we have the world. And we are told also that there are other lands out here. The land of Havilah, where the gold is. Gold is out here. Trees are in here. The sanctuary land, these, these lands in the Bible are associated with food. These lands are associated with wood and stone. All this stuff down here in Havilah. King Solomon's mines down in Central Africa. We've all seen the movies. All right. So when, when Solomon wants to get gold and trees and stones to build the temple, he goes to Hiram of Tyre, believing Gentile, faithful man. Okay? And they swap food. Solomon provides food. Okay? When God gives this land to Israel, he gives them vineyards, olive yards, fields, cumin, mint, vegetable gardens. That's all the way it's described. The land of promise is not described as a land of gold and uh, jewels. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Prince Jonathan finds honey and might have restored honey to the people. Okay? King Desmond David brings cheese, milk, to the warriors at the battle. Honey and cheese are associated with Jonathan and David. These things run throughout the Bible. Bread and wine. And they're right here in this original environment. In the sanctuary, we only read about trees and tree fruit. We're also told that out in the land, there's bread. There are grain plants. We never get to them. So there's going to be some grain plants out here in the forecourt land, but it's going to be harder to deal with them. There's a whole history of food here. I'll give it to you free. You start with fruit off of trees. You just pick it and eat it. You come out here, you're cast out here, and in the forecourt land, there's bread plants. There's a certain amount of work involved in making bread to eat. Okay? But you can, you can make bread in about five hours. You, know, you cut down, you have to have a knife, you cut down the uh, wheat, and you beat it up, and now you've got some flour, and you mix it with water, and so at the end of five hours, you've got some bread. Okay? It takes much longer to develop wine, and wine is also out here, but it grows on vines, close to the ground. 
not up like trees. It's a little bit different. We didn't start off with, with wine. It's not till we get to Noah that we get any mention of wine. And you can't make wine in five hours. It takes much longer time and much more skill, much more maturity to make wine. So it's when you get later on in history to kings that you find wine. Kings are associated with wine. Priests with bread. <sighs> okay, these are some of the fundamental uh, associations with these spaces. All right, we never get up there to the West. But as history moves along, living out here at a distance from the sanctuary, when God calls Abraham, Abraham gets to come into the sanctuary a little bit with what we call oasis sanctuaries. What are the three components of an oasis sanctuary? Water, trees, altar, mound of earth, okay, high ground. That, those three things become the tabernacle. When you cut the trees down and plane them and you cover them with gold, all right. You have the water and the labor. That's a well. You meet your wives at wells, right? What is the labor made out of? Bronze? Did you, did you say bronze? Hmm? I, thought, I thought I heard you say bronze. The mirrors of the deaconesses, the women who served at the tabernacle. No, uh, it's, it's, it's not, gold is only inside the tab, getting ahead of the class. But that's encouraging. All right, so remember these four places here. Uh, when the tabernacle's built, there's more sanctuary. When the temple is built, there's more sanctuary. When we get to Ezekiel's temple, which cannot be built, you can put up, we'll talk about how it spreads out over the entire world in the form of synagogues. And then you get to the New Testament, and finally, we push into the throne land with Jesus, and we turn around and look the other way. We were always looking west to the tabernacle, to the temple of God. Now, in the Christian church, we look east. We'll discuss that. Just trying to throw out the basics. Now, one of the basic principles is homological duplication and the microscopic human house. Okay, you are a temple, right? And if the world is a temple... Well, so are you. What are you made out of? Dirt. What grows on dirt? What grows on you? Okay. Glory. Grass. It's not green, though. And as you grow older and hit adolescence, you grow even more hair in places. Okay? You're not to round the corners of your field when you cut it, but leave some produce there for the poor. 
You're not to round the corners of your beard. But leave some there. No, well. <laughs> whatever that means. No one really knows what the corners of the beard are. But uh, you're not to round them because of the analogy. And all those laws in Leviticus, all those fun laws, all that stuff that's so much fun to learn and study and play with, that's all using these analogies. And you have an analogy between your house. Your house has to be kept clean. Dirty animals have to stay out of it. If a mouse comes in, busts in, boundary transgressing mouse comes in and dyes his little filthy body in an open sack of grain, well, you've got to do something about that. Okay? You've got to keep yourself clean in terms of what you eat. You've got to keep your house clean in terms of what your house has. You can get leprosy on your skin. You can get leprosy in your house. Right? What are some leprous houses in the Bible? When? When was the temple leprous? Well, well, yes, Matthew 24 is your proof text. 23, I think, actually, at the end. But, uh, yep, when you take down a leprous house, not one stone is left on another, it's all cast out. Ezekiel runs into a Ezekiel's inspection of the house is an inspection for leprosy. Uh, Zechariah chapter 5, the flying scroll, which has the law printed on both sides, checks out a leprous house and causes it to um, be sick. So this is actually uh, a major theme. And of course, when the priest checks out the leprous house, he throws out the bad stones and he patches it back up. And he comes back, and if it's gone bad again, he throws out the stones again and gives it one last chance. And if he comes back again, and that house is leprous again, he tears it down. How many times did Jesus inspect the temple? Once at the beginning, three years later, and in his 70 A.D. Wow, isn't that cool? Yeah, it is. So there's duplications in the, in the system here. Your house, God's house, God's house of heaven and earth, because there's a, well, I'm not going to draw this now, but there's a veil between heaven and earth. Isaiah chapter 40, as most of you know, says it, he stretched out the heavens as a veil, and he, he spread out the heavens as a veil, and he stretched them forth as a tent. Okay? So the firmament is both a flat veil, and it's also a tent. And the ancients knew that space had depth. You know, you look up at the sky, it looks like a nice flat sky up there. But don't read these modern books that say that the ancients believed it was just a ceiling on the earth. Um, no, they knew that space had depth. They knew that the, the moon uh, moved in front of the sun. They weren't at the same depth, depth of space. And they knew how far the planets were. 
Now, they probably thought that the fixed stars were on a shell, but uh, the planets had depth. There's depth in space. It's a house. And there's seven planets, and so when we go into the tabernacle, up here the highest heavens, and here the tabernacle, we have these two blue veils, which you see are really one. That's the veil. But when you see into it, it has depth. And what's up here? Well, there's manna up here, there's bread. And there's fire and incense up here. And right here are the seven stars. Moon, Venus, Mercury, Sun in the center, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. And then you're, you've gone through the tent. And I'm not making this up. So they knew this, and that's the house. That's the space. So the creation itself, tabernacles, temples, Ezekiel's temple, your house, your body. And these are just the physical spaces. The rituals are the same. Most of you are in churches that have covenant renewal worship. Right? Call, confession, consecration, communion, and commissioning. Where does that come from? When we made that up and imposed it on all the CREC churches, where did we come up with that? Well, we looked at the Mass, pretty much the same, which you find in traditional Lutheran and Catholic Church. But where did we come up with it? You're going to defend that order of worship. Where do you start? You were supposed to say the sacrificial system, but you didn't. I know. You gave the right answer. Leviticus 1 is what I No, 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 don't. Don't start there. Don't tell people in your church we're modeling it on the Old Testament. First of all, you say this is an expansion of the covenant meal. That's the covenant renewal. Jesus takes bread. He takes hold of us. He breaks us and changes us, gives us a new name. That's confession. He gives commands to us. Take this and eat it. I'm giving it to you. Then we sit down and eat it. Then he tells us to get out of here and go change the world because there's demon-possessed kids down at the foot of the mountain. And the people who are down at the foot of the mountain who haven't been with Jesus, they don't seem to be able to do anything for the family that's out there. They're starving people, and God gave you free food, so you go give them free food. Now it turns out that that's the same as the order of the sacrifices. It's the same as the order of creation week. It's the same order that God does everything. And it's the same order that we do everything. But we won't go into that again now. But you see, think in terms of these, we can say typology or homology or fractals. Well, fractals is a cool new name. Fractals. It's a fractal world. Now, before talking about the tab, I want to talk about the center. God is drawing people in to a center. 
And the center, as Eugen Rosenstock Husey, our great Christian thinker, has given us to understand, is the place in the middle of inside and outside, past and future. Right now, we who are in this class, you were somewhere else a half an hour ago. Now you're in this time. Under my command, you are forced to listen to me. I have power. Peter had power in there, but <laughs> not here. And soon this will be over and you can get out. But right now, this is a span of time that is between a future time in which things that are different are going on, like eating food or driving down to the church to have food and a time that was before. You are always in the center between past and future, and you are always in the center between an out-group and an in-group. You're not in between. You are in an in-group. The world consists of two groups of people. Us, who have the privilege of being in here, and them. Okay? There's the us that are in your church and the them who are in all the other churches. There are the us who are Christians and then there's the them who ain't. There's the us who are in our family, in our marriage, and the them who are not. There are always in-groups and out-groups. Nothing wrong with that. Everybody shouldn't be in the same in-group. You go crazy. Okay? But these four realities the Bible refers to, it tells us that in the church there are four functions. There is an apostolic function, a prophetic function, evangelistic function, and a pastoral and teaching function. There are people who specialize in those, but they're functions of everybody. And we can make use of observations of natural facts to say that some people are very friendly and open, tend to be just chummy with everybody. It takes, they came in this room, it would take them five minutes to know everybody's name and they wouldn't forget them. We call those people sanguine, friendly people. They're evangelists. Some people are very concerned about how things ought to be. Uh, they would like to get this room organized. All the women over here, all the men over here, all the young men over here. Those people, the organizers, we call those people choleric. That's their temperament. And they are pastors. Then there are some people who are always dissatisfied. It's never right. They go to church and they come out and they say, oh, why do we have to sing that hymn today? Presbyterians always mess it up. We only sang six stanzas of For All the Saints. What's wrong with the other two? And why did they change the harmony? I can't stand it. It drives me crazy. 
Most people who are always dissatisfied are melancholic. They tend to be depressed. They're prophets. Because they're always wanting to change things and they're thinking about the future. And who are the people who think about the past? The people who are going to tell you, hey, if it's not broke, don't change it. Let's not forget the foundations. They're apostolic. They're phlegmatic in their character. You know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Okay, six stanzas is better than none. Like Jim. So, in Out Past Future, I'm going to try to do a lot with that and think about uh, as architectural principles. Architecture has to do, as we've been hearing, with motion. How you move people in, how you move them out. What we like to do, and, and we'll do it tonight, is at the beginning of the worship service, during the opening hymn, I will walk down the aisle, and I will book it down the aisle. And you're all standing there singing, but you know what you're doing psychologically? You're being pulled forward by me. If I, if I had a choir behind me and we were all walking in, you would all have a sense of being drawn forward as you stand there and sing the hymn, whether you like it or not. And during the last hymn, I will go out, and you will have a sense of being drawn out. This is real. That's why you do stuff like this. You don't just ooze in the front of the church and say, okay, all right, everybody, let's worship God. No, uh-uh. No, you draw formality and help you think as you move forward. So all of these things coming in, going out, where you are standing east, west, north, south, all those things matter. And that's the things I want to talk about because the Bible spends a huge amount of time on it. We've already said something about the Oasis Sanctuary. Now we're going to talk about the tabernacle. Why does God spend so much time on that? Answer, why God spends so much time on the tabernacle and the ceremonial law is this. You know, for kids. Because it's all for kids. I'm 67 years old. I'm still just a baby compared to where I'm going to be six octillion years from now. And I will be around six octillion years from now. You know, there are churches who say they don't want babies to come to the Lord's table until they're old enough to discern the body. Am I old enough to discern the body? compared to how much I will know a million years from now? How high an IQ do you have to have before you're allowed to the table? How old do you have to be? When do you stop being a baby? I like being a baby, and uh, I'm not interested in stopping being one. And you know, an octillion years from now, 
I'll still be a baby. And that has to do with liturgy because we are play-acting in liturgy. I might as well say this now. But when we do a liturgy in the church, does it change the world? Do you knock anybody out of power? If you don't like Trump, did you put somebody else in by what you do in liturgy? No. Everything, everything we do in liturgy and everything Israel did was play-acting designed to persuade God to change the world. You aren't going to change the world by coming into a little room off to the side, somewhere else, singing some psalms and some hymns and listening to God get up and bloviate about some text of the Bible. That won't change the world unless God sees you doing it and says, I like those people. I think I'll change the world. Their ways please me, and I will make their enemies at peace with him. Now, what is the tabernacle? A tabernacle is an ancient tent. It's not a wigwam. It's not a teepee. It's not a Boy Scout tent. It's the kind of tent that Abraham had. It has walls. It has rooms. And you go someplace and you put down on the ground sockets made of stone or metal, something heavy, and they have big piece of stone with uh, something, uh, uh, an opening carved into it that you can slot a board into. Or a pole. Maybe it's just got a hole in it and you can drop a pole into it. And that's going to start to be your wall. Now to keep it from going this way and that, you have a ring up about six, five feet, and you run a pole through that ring. And you run another one through it at the top. And you connect the walls with it. So by now, the walls are, you know, they're getting some standing by, by themselves. You might tie them down. But you've got a room now because you can hang curtains all along there. And you might as well make those curtains look nice, make tapestries on them. I mean, what else have you got to do with your time while you're watching the sheep? Might as well sew some pretty tapestries on them. So make nice, heavy curtains so that when it's cold and windy, they keep out the cold and wind. That's what tapestries are for. That's why castles have them. You got a big stone wall there? You got a big, thick rug on the wall uh, to keep out bad weather and cold walls. But this is an ancient tent. You might have one or two, three or four rooms in it. And you can move it from place to place. Takes a little energy. But that's how people lived. And that's what the tabernacle is, except that it's a glorified tent for the king. It has gold walls. The wood has gold laid over it. And they're walls. And they're in silver sockets. And this tent... Now, when you, when you look at churches, you'll see this same thing, this same kind of thing going on. Here are the silver sockets. And I don't have different colors here. 
And here are the gold boards in the silver sockets and golden rings and a golden pipe, I mean, uh, a, wooden, a wooden rod overlaid with gold, holding all these things together. And draw some other rings here. All right. This is, a, this is five cubits up in the air. This is uh, five cubits, seven and a half feet in the air. Because right out here are the curtains of the courtyard. And they are in wooden poles with silver rings at the top. And bronze sockets at the bottom. And they're being held up. White curtains out here all around the tabernacle. Why are they white? Clouds. We are on the mountaintop. And now this silver rings at the top of these is the same as these silver sockets. And so... Here is this pole, which is five cubits high, and this is ten. So, way up here, higher than I can reach, is the floor of the tabernacle. The priests are going around in here. How can they walk up in the air like that? There's no floor. What do they symbolize? They're angels. They're dressed like angels. Do they have shoes? No. They're barefoot. We do. Ephesians 6 says we, we have feet shod to conquer the world, but they don't. They're flying around in here, and they're woo, so exciting. They're all dressed in garments with four wings. Okay, I've got four wings. Wing and wing. I'm a cherub. Bow to me. Okay. Every Israelite is dressed with four wings. And on the four wings, he's got four tassels, of, which include a little blue string. So that's a mixture of wool, blue, and linen. Uh-oh. That makes it holy. This is called a holy wing. Now, priest wears a lot of stuff with a lot of colors and linen mixed together. So it's animal and vegetable mixed together, which is holy, and the average Israelite is forbidden to do. Now, you've got furniture in here. Right here, you have an incense altar with rings, and symbolically, those rings are on this center pole. There's a table of face bread here, and the pole is running near the top of it. And if we continue this pole out here, you guys know this, and you can do a better job of drawing it than I can. 
But here's the Ark of the Covenant, which hangs down here and goes up here. Angel, angel, all right? That's it for angels. So, here's the altar out here. Altar of bronze, three cubits high. So let's, let's walk our way up to heaven. The ladder to heaven, a pyramid, is hidden in here. Watch. I'm going here. Then I go up here to this. Then I go here to this. Then I go here to that. You see that there's a, a holy mountain, a pyramid, a ladder to heaven in here. Same as all the other pyramids and ladders to heaven in the Bible. You know, pyramids were originally stepped. Uh, make sure. You're looking at this pyramid off there in the distance. And this is how it looks. See, that's at a distance, that's a ladder. You're going up and down. Angels coming down and going up on the ladder to Jacob. Minister of the gospel, bringing the word of God down to you and taking the word up to heaven. That's the job of the angel of the church. The angel of the church of, of, of Birmingham is doing that. Now the tabernacle then is an ancient tent that is hiding this ladder to heaven and has this furniture. It is built... In Exodus 25, it's instructed to be built in Exodus 25, and that comes after God has given the law. And the law is given after God organizes the people under elders of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And after God gives water to them, and after God gives bread to them. All of these things are an order that accumulates and all this symbolic stuff symbolizes the people, symbolizes the law, there are ways it does, symbolizes the manna, sim on this bread, on this table here, symbolizes the water in the labor that's out here. That's the stuff we've gotten and now it's encoded into this building. We're not going to get to it today, but God sets up the kingdom and he has a king. Then he sets up all the music and all the musicians. And then the temple is built, which encodes the kingdom and encodes music. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't mention this, but these pieces of furniture keep the poles all the time. You never pull them out. 
so that while they're sitting here on the floor, they have these poles coming out, and you're to understand that those poles are coordinate with these poles here, up in the air. Okay. Yep, sorry. Sorry I didn't bring it up first. This house, this tent, is a distinctive place. It's God's house. There's a throne room in here, and God sits... God sits up here on the wings of the cherubim. And his feet are down here on the Ark of the Covenant, which is his footstool. But there's also a potpourri. This is the living room. That's the throne room. The living room is here. There's a potpourri to make it smell good. Oh, there's a lot of stinky blood. You kill an animal and all of its poop comes out. Uh, it's a bad smelling situation out here in the kitchen. But here in the house we have a potpourri of incense and we have a snack and we have a lampstand to give light in the room because there are no windows in here. Out here in the kitchen, we kill an animal on a table. If it's a small animal, if it's an ox, we kill it on the ground, cut it up in pieces. There's water out here. And we wash it, wash out all of the poop and all the bad stuff, and then we burn it up. Smells nice. But I'll tell you something, we can, we can put that animal on there and turn him into smoke and burn him up, and he's not going to go up to heaven unless we put some incense on it too. Incense is the automobile that conveys stuff up into the sky. It's not going to go there without incense. Maybe we'll have time to talk about that, but that's an interesting aspect of the rituals. Incense conveys. That's why it's associated with prayer. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening tribute memorial offering. So this is God's palace. Uh, it's his holy mountain. He's got his human angels who represent us. And it's this distinctive place. We have a special artist, Bezalel, and his associate, Aholiab, who are specially empowered by the Holy Spirit to make this place. And what you heard today from chapter 35 is there were lots of people inspired by the Holy Spirit to help him out. Skillful women making the tapestries, which have cherubim on them. And uh, this place also has a distinctive smell. The oil that is sprinkled on everything in here and the incense that is compounded is compounded out of spices that are not to be used in the same proportion for anything else. If you want to get yourself excommunicated, you make yourself some Exodus spice using the same formula as is here in Exodus uh, 31. Flowing myrrh, 500 shekels. Myrrh always comes first. Myrrh is for marriage. It's not for death. It's, it's all over Psalm, the Song of Solomon, and it's all over 
uh, Psalm 45 and all the marriage places. Jesus is given a hundred pounds of myrrh and stuff. Well, that's preparing him for his marriage. Uh, that's, that's thoughtful. And of cinnamon, half as much, 250. And of fragrant cane, 250. And of cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And of olive oil, a hen. That's for the oil. Frankincense, stactionica galbanum, spices with pure frankincense, an equal part of each. Nobody else better make anything like it. Whoever shall make any like it to use it, the perfume shall be cut off from his people. So this building smelled unique. You didn't ever get a chance to smell it. Because you never got to go in the tabernacle. You know? Talk about suicide by cop. Well, there's suicide by encroachment. You're tired of life and you want to die? Just walk into the tabernacle and the Levites who were stationed out there with Uzis or whatever they had, they'll kill you. That's their job. Only priests can go in there. Only priests have been uh, consecrated. As a distinctive smell. Should our churches have a distinctive smell? You want to think self-consciously about how your church smells. Do you want to set off some incense uh, during the worship service? I recommend that you not do so. Modern people don't live on farms and they're allergic to stuff. But there are things you can do. There's a distinctive decor in here. Not like any place else. You couldn't afford it. Distinctive dress on these priests. Very distinctive. Priests are dressed in a garment. Uh, the warp is made of three different colors of dyed wool. You can't dye linen effectively. So this is wool. And you're not allowed to wear a mixture of wool and linen if you're an ordinary person. But the priest is required to wear a mixture of wool and linen. And the warp, I don't know which is which, he's got three colors. And then he's got in the weft, he's got linen, white, and he's also got gold thread woven through there. So animal, vegetable, and mineral. That's how he's dressed. And this is really heavy. You know, imagine how heavy it is that you're in this room with seven candle, candlestick with seven candles on it, and you're walking around in this, you're sparkling. You look like a bunch of fireflies with all of this gold thread sparkling away. Pretty neat. In this place, all the things connected with human beings, the priests of creation, cosmos, the microcosmos, there's smell, which is incense, there's taste, which is bread and beer. There's no wine in here. Wine doesn't get brought in. This, this is not yet the wine place. Not till we get a human king. God says, I think I'll fast from wine until I get a human king to sit on a throne with me. So in 450, 500 years, we're going to have a king. There's going to be David. There's going to be Solomon. 
He's going to build his palace on the same pavement as God's palace. So one of the outbuildings of God's palace is Solomon's palace. When Solomon becomes king and he has wine, sits down on his throne. These priests, they never get to sit down. When the king sits down, he can have wine. Until then, what these priests have is beer. And on this table of face bread, there are these round loaves of bread, which are faces. And the faces, what are these faces looking at? Yeah, the faces are over here. And the lampstand is over here, with the lamps positioned in front. So God is always watching the 12 loaves of Israel. He watching over Israel slumbers not nor sleeps because these lamps never go out. When, when the priest goes in to trim the first lamp, he turns it off, but the other six are still going. And it's all day and all night because there's no other light in there. There are no windows. Okay? So the lamps are watching the bread, and the face bread literally is watching God, the almond. What does the word almond in Hebrew? Watcher, okay. Overseer, supervisor, bishop. <laughs> okay, so we've got food in there. Beer, which is made from grain, and bread. In sight, we've got the candelabra, we've got these colors in here, God likes colors, and these shiny metals. Gold, silver, bronze. Hearing, we have bells. The high priest has bells all along the bottom of his garment, little bells. Ding -ling 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 -ling. Wherever where he goes, you hear him rattling and ringing. Then later on, we have the trumpets of the priests and the other instruments of the Levites. Let me talk about directions just a little bit. We'll probably have to come back to this. But oh, this is the hula hoop. I'll take it off the wall. You knew that's what it was. It's for kids. If you don't understand that, ask Mr. Lightheart. He'll tell you. Okay. So, here... Here is the tabernacle courtyard. And here is the tabernacle itself. And here is the Ark of the Covenant. And here is the altar of ascensions, the bronze altar. Okay. And bread and incense. Now, this is exactly in the middle here, and if we draw an X in the, in the heaven half, I didn't draw that right, did I? In the heaven half, the Ark of the Covenant is right in the middle. And in the earth half, let's see if I can do it right this time. The altar on the earth is exactly in the center. Okay. If you live in the ancient world, you're conscious of this, especially if you're a priest. If you're a priest, 
you're an astronomer, and you're a mathematician. I don't care where you live. If you live in the Toltec civilization, you're an astronomer, and you're a mathematician if you're a priest. You keep an eye on the calendar. Now, this is the east. I drew this. Excuse me. It's not east. That's the problem. I drawed it wrong. That's rest. This is east. This south and north. Okay. Flip that upside down. In the old time, we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden in the west. We were kicked out eastward. And then we were kicked out farther eastward. When we went down to Egypt, we went south. When we left Ur, the Chaldees, we left the east and the north, and we came into the land of the, uh, of the, uh, the land of promise. Then we went down south to Egypt, and we came back north, but God didn't take us up north straight into the land of, that flows with milk and honey. He took us around so that we entered it from the east moving west. But over here at the west, there's a Mediterranean Sea. So that's about as far as you can get going west. You want to leave, you wind up leaving east again. And at the end of this first phase of history, the Abrahamic phase, we went back to Ur the Chaldees. Okay? Then we came back again. West, moving west. During this period, well, when that happened, the Persians were still in, were in charge. Now, the Persians were over here, ruling us from the east. And all our commerce was that way with the Persians. Then the Greeks took over. What does the book of Daniel say about the Greeks? King of the north and the king of the south. After the day of Pentecost, when the new world starts, what direction do we go in? We go east. We go through the Mediterranean Sea. Now for the first time, we're going this way. And when we look back, we're looking east instead of looking west. Then go back to Jerusalem. Paul keeps wanting to go back to Jerusalem. Now in the 8070, that geography ends, but it's still there symbolically in the church. We face east in worship, liturgical east. The western wall in the church, what's on the western wall? The last judgment is on the western wall. When you leave the church, just move right under it. You don't have to worry about it. Come in, you face east, because as lightning runs from the west to the east, so will the coming of the Son of Man be? That's a reference to Ezekiel. That happened in AD 70. But the symbolism is still there. And so, so you want to know why 
the church talks about inside the church, east, west, north, and south, that's where these directions come from. They are simply the reversal of the Old Testament because we've gone through and we're coming back from the other side. Put on in my eyes here. You all understand this. You got it? Working on it, processing it. Okay, we're coming back. So, we move up here to the east. Okay, over here is the north. So, if I want to conduct worship, if I'm an Episcopalian, if I'm English, I come over here and I pray on the north side. Okay? Which is the gospel side, right? The lectern is over here. The gospel is read from the lectern. All you women are out here. And then I'll go back over here to the epistle side. And all you men are over here. But you see, we have these directions. Gospel side, epistle side. North, south, east, west. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.